People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode one of series two of People's Poetry Podcast. My name's Jimmy Bowman. It's my absolute pleasure to have you here along with me. This is the poetry podcast that brings poetry to you, the ordinary people, as I travel across the UK talking to various poets, established and those brand new to the scene in my mission to prove that poetry is for everyone. As an aspiring poet myself, I also wanted to find out why something as archaic as poetry is still so relevant and important today. Now I say this about all the guests I have on here, but I really was excited to meet this poet. This episode's featured poet is the award-winning Tommy Sizzle. We talk about class, community, masculinity, patriotism and self-education and its importance. And his stunning debut collection, Goodnight Sun. Really fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I'm joined by the award-winning writer, Tommy Sissons. Thank you so much for chatting to me, Tommy. You, as we spoke before this, I said you're, you're a busy poet. You've got lots of sort of irons in the fire you write poetry i know you're a writer you're sort of working on a short story short novel and you've got the music side of things as well going on um how did it all begin i suppose is where we need to start what was the process in you getting to being so busy um i've always written since i was maybe like four or five years old so i started writing little short stories and then started writing poetry around the age of eight or nine um I really didn't know what to do with it at first, uh, I just enjoyed it, um, but I was sort of hesitant to perform it, or rather I didn't even know how I would perform it. Uh, I came across a night called Hammer and Tong in Brighton, which is, uh, for those that don't know, it's performance poetry, it's a slam, uh, so it's competitive uh, performance poetry, and I started going to those, uh, and after a few times I ended up winning the regional one. Uh, and then went on to go and do the um, the, oh, the national finals in London, and I sort of just built myself up really off off doing slums. Um, and then after that, I got picked up for a few commissions. Uh, I've just been able to sort of work my way up from doing that ever since. So a mixture of all sorts of stuff, really. Yeah. I've read that you've said slam was. I mean, I've spoke to other poets about slam, and it, it is sort of the Hunger Games of poetry in a way. It's quite cutthroat, but I, I've read that you've said it really did help get your name sort of out there. Is is that what sort of young poets should be doing now, entering slams? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a lot of talk about whether slams are sort of representative of the poetry community because everyone in poetry is so sort of liberal and everyone tries to get on with each other as much as possible which is fantastic uh, and slams is just a bit of a laugh really I'd, if you take it too seriously then you're just being daft um, but I think that competitive element um, really brings out so much good work in people and you can see the hunger in everyone that's doing a slam and it's you know it's fantastic to see that people are putting in so much work and you know you do get so much out of it because if you win a few even just win one, you know, you, you've instantly been sort of pushed in front of an audience of all this, uh, all these people that are buying up from the uh, from the slam and the organisations that run it. So yeah, it's a really good way of promoting yourself, definitely. Now I was drawn to your poetry mainly for the themes that you you cover and uh, masculinity, working class pride, uh, sort of 
patronism, childhood to adulthood. I just wanted to talk to you about your, your upbringing. So you were, as I understand, grew up in Brighton. Um, how much did, I suppose, your community shape what you later went on to write? Um, quite a lot, massively, in fact. I couldn't have written what I write about if I'd grown up anywhere else at any other time. Um, I was fortunate in the fact that there was definitely a sense of community where I was growing up um, that seems quite old-fashioned in a way now, and particularly in London. Um, but everyone, so everyone knew the sort of local people, like the milkman would come around, everyone knew him, you knew the boss man down at the shop. Um, people did each other favours. Uh, when I was having, when me and my mum were having problems at home, we needed a favour, we could ask someone up the road or they can ask us. And it was really, it had a nice yeah, communal sense of uh, solidarity. It's quite an old school notion that today. Exactly, yeah, um, which was really lovely. Um, but then things happen, you know, there's redundancies and suddenly the milkman doesn't come anymore or the kids grow up, start having problems with whatever and start dispersing quickly um, and you become very aware of a different side of where you are, um, which comes in the form of becoming a teenager really and meeting all these older lads that are doing whatever they're doing. Um, you know, they might be selling drugs or they might be involved in uh, other sorts of criminal activity and it's then that you you have to formulate yourself as a man and you're forced to grow up quite quickly around it and I never had a dad at home so when I was seeing these older lads that was my perception of what a man is in a way and I, ne I needed a male role model so so many lads like that have looked to these older guys um, and been taken under their wing and it's a fucking horrible decision and everyone regrets going down that way. I never did, um, but I was always interested by those people uh, and I knew so many of them. So that massively shaped what I write about. It's very important to me, all that sort of stuff, because I want to talk about people that I know and love um, and try and represent them the best that I can. And I think that really does come through in your poetry. You you get that sense that this is real. It's it's not fiction. It, they are things that have shaped your life. I want to touch on a few things you've just sort of touched upon there yourself. But this this idea of working class pride and identity. I, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people. I I consider myself working class, and obviously I, you know you do, and you go on to do things such as writing poetry or such as myself becoming a teacher. And people say to me, well, you're born into a class, but then you move out of that class. And I personally disagree with that. I think it doesn't matter where I end up in life. I was shaped in a sort of working class environment and that helped shape me as a person. What's, what's your view on sort of being born into class? Do you, Alan Sugar's a good example. People say, well, he was working class. He's not anymore. But I disagree. I think that, that is you. It's, it's a very broad argument with so many little twists and turns in it. I was having the same conversation last night with my housemate who's also bang on working class pride stuff. Um, I think in contemporary Britain meritocracy is somewhat of a myth um, and it depends really how you define what makes class, uh, what makes you become middle class. Uh, so I've always 
perceived it in an economic or a financial sense. Uh, whereas if you've you've made enough money, then you you can enter into another class, but you're still you're a bit of an alien in the class in the sense that you, you, you your personality won't change that much unless you're really trying to force it to. Um, so I think anybody that's reached that point where they've got enough money uh, to be comfortable while still keeping a working class head about them, I think that's great, good on you. Um, but then there's the argument, and this is my mate's argument, that you're never middle class unless you can afford to not sell your labour to make money, basically. If you've got enough money to pay off your house, um, you know, not have to work anymore and just live and possibly make money from other people as well. Like if you become a landlord, then you're middle class. And it's a difficult one because I think that's, in a sense, uh, it's quite Marxist and everyone loves Marx. Um, but is it as compatible to contemporary England uh, as it was back in the day? So it's, it's, very, it's very difficult to sort of define it, but I think, yeah, for me, it's based on, on financial, uh, financial gains. Um, you can move into a different class, but as long as you keep a sort of working class drive about you, then I think that's fine. Just don't sell yourself off to it. And there's, there's people, when you talk about this argument, and I suppose what would your message be to, to people out there who, who believe, and you do get them, that there is no longer a class divide or a class system in Britain? Um, well, I suppose now nowadays they've broken down class into uh, several, seven different categories. Um, so you've got a traditional working class, uh, which is very much still the sort of ghost of industry and then you've got um, the precariat which is just a crudely named precarious proletariat um, which is just mainly aimed at unemployed people um, and then emerging uh, emerging workers service workers who have got a little bit of money and they've got quite a high amount of cultural capital uh, a bit of social capital but not much economic capital um, and then it goes up and then there's a sort of old school middle class and then the new middle class it's it's okay I think it is relevant to nowadays and I think it's fairly accurate but there's some problems with it and I always think that when you start to divide up classes like that then what you do is you get rid of any sense of unity or solidarity with working class people because suddenly traditional working class people are going to compare themselves to the precariat or to this group or to this group whereas in the olden days everyone was just working class and it was, was just a brotherhood of it and that was fantastic so I, I think it is it's regressive in some ways even though it may be more accurate in some ways yeah I've seen that you, you've got a copy of this uh, Common People anthology and after interviewing Tony Walsh on the series one I went along to the launch of that and your your poetry you know in a way is part of that anthology sort of that movement you know celebrating the working class writer and celebrating working class pride how important um do you think collections like that are and the work you're you're doing is in sort of the grand scale of things um i mean i really loved loved that anthology it was fantastic um there was what I noticed in the anthology was there was a hell of a lot of older writers, uh, a lot of the, um, I guess they're sort of 
biographical snippets uh, or short stories, but they weren't really stories, were set in sort of 70s, 80s, yeah. maybe early 90s. Yeah. There was a few that were more modern. I would have loved to have seen uh, more young voices involved. I think the anthology did a fantastic job anyway, and it was great, and looking at it um, sort of reminded me of my family and the older people in my family, and it was a great time to be working class pre-Thatcher anyway. Um, I'd love to see it from more of a modern uh, perspective, maybe do another one which is solely young writers. I think that'd be great. But I think, yeah, on the whole, stuff like that, really, really, really good for the, uh, for the class argument. Really good. You've talked uh, in previous interviews about uh, linking to your upbringing, sort of the, your certain friends you had sort of fell into this criminal lifestyles. And, and I, the area I grew up in is definitely, I can relate to that. Some of, some of my friends took a different path to me. And I've always been interested in, in writing as well. And I find it this, this weird scenario in which you sort of deem yourself a, a poet, but you, you, you still keep those friends. How... I mean, I'm asking mainly for myself here, but how, how, how was that, you know, when you are surrounded by it, you still manage to stay on this path, no, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to be a poet. Like, how did your friends react to this idea? Um, because mine seemed quite accepting, and you wouldn't think that on the surface. Um, I mean, when, when I was younger, I was very reluctant to come out and say that I was doing poetry. Um, you sort of get the piss taken out of you yeah. at school for it. And everyone back then was just like being grime MCs and that anyway, so that's what everyone was on. And I did a bit of that as well. Um, and it was fun, but I suppose how old, I must have been about, uh, just turned 17 when I started doing the slams that I spoke openly about it. Um, and yeah, surprisingly, a hell of a lot of the young lads that I was surrounded with were dead supportive. Um, but it's largely because of what I was talking about, I think, more than the fact that it was uh, poetry. If I'd been talking about flowers and butterfly nets and all that, then I would have had the shit ripped out of me. Yeah. But I felt like they knew that I was representing myself and them in a way that was truthful, and that that gave uh, me respect from them. Which is very similar to Grime anyway. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, uh, and then yeah, I came I came to London because at the end of the day, uh, I fucking I couldn't be around all the sort of escalating stuff that was going on. There was so much stuff going on, and there still is. Um, and in so many working class communities, there's a tendency to to just stick around, and uh, you you see the same people every day. You don't really progress in what you want to do and you get caught up in other people's dramas too much and I always kept my distance from that sort of stuff anyway I prefer to just observe know and learn um, than be involved um, so I came up to London um, I've lost contact with a handful of people, some people have gone to prison unfortunately mm. um, a few lads have died uh, but then you know you, you go away from one place you come to another um, I live in South London now uh, when I was in New Cross for three years you know it happens all the time uh, it's no different New Cross to anywhere else that's working class in the country particularly in the sort of depths of knife crime that we're in in London now there's no getting away from it anywhere in England um, but you know you just you, you have to be grateful for the people that you're around and want the best for them and they'll want the best for you in return 
you've set me up nicely there for my next point actually I, I recently watched had your book that we talk about in a moment uh, Goodnight Sun for a while but uh, I hadn't seen a documentary until this week on YouTube and in that you sort of talk you go down London Road in Brighton and you talk about this sense of community and it reminded me very much of the area of South London I grew up in where street ratting was the term I suppose you spent a lot of time bonding with, with your peers on, on the street did you find when you made that move to London that you had the same sort of the unity, the same sort of sense of community? Um, it was a creative sense of unity um, and that's what I surround myself with more now uh, purely for the fact that I've, you know, I've gotten older, I'm in my early 20s and you can't really do that sort of stuff anymore, it's really restricted to being a teenager. Um, there's definitely a sense of community, uh, particularly in the sort of literary scene, uh, particularly in spoken word. But you, yeah, you can't do as much as of uh, what you used to do now. And London is so—it's quite a lonely city in a lot of ways. Um, it's so large, and everyone's so sort of tucked away in their own little cubby holes. A hell of a lot of the time, you won't know your neighbours. I only know—well, I know the person that lives next door to me, which is mad. But other than that, I don't know anyone else that lives on the street. And I used to know everyone that lived on the street. Um, I feel like a lot of a lot of young people in London will have that same feeling. I've said that of sort of when I go to towns in the Midlands, it's almost less is more sometimes in in terms of community and things like that. Do you think there's anything you said there? Sort of a creative sense of unity. Is there anything from those? You know, there's lots of us that were that age street ratting is there anything we do take forward into adulthood from that that bond that period that we have yeah yeah well you take a sense of solidarity with you um you can instantly recognize when somebody has been in the same circumstances of as you and uh, you support them and hopefully they'll support you in return um and there's a sense of sort of well there's a bit of a fuck you attitude really towards anybody that's telling us that we can't do what we want to do um, which I think is fantastic and it's right to have that attitude most of the time um, yeah yeah there's definitely an attitude that you take with you so why did he, why I suppose the question is why did you channel all of this into poetry what was it for you personally about poetry um, I think it's it took me a while to sort of figure it out myself um, I've always just loved performing words in whatever sort of context that is whether it's music poetry whatever um, and I didn't really know why I loved it um, I suppose with poetry now that I've I've gotten older and I've started experimenting more with the form that I can realize that it's you know it's free verse a lot of my stuff is so it allows you to sort of spiel stuff off in a uh, a sort of uh, mind-opening passage that you don't have to stop or think too much, you just crack on with it and it all comes out and then you can go back and edit over it, um, which was therapeutic um, and it was a stressful, definitely, definitely a stressful. Um, so I think that's why I channeled a lot of it into poetry at first. Uh, now I'm sort of channeling into other sort of more more meticulous forms rather than 
sort of spontaneous free verse, uh, hence going into fiction or trying to go into fiction now um, and finding the best way to say everything uh, and using it as a, a sort of mammoth push for what you want to say rather than a, uh, a very quick sort of spontaneous little blip. On the blurb of Goodnight Sun, it says, uh, written for the ordinary person. And I suppose the whole idea of me starting this podcast was to bring poetry to the ordinary person. And I want to talk about your, your poem in there. Poets are endangered and I am art. Um, and in Poets Are Endangered, you talk about classic books being so cheap now. Um, but you talk about this idea of poetry has changed in that originally when you hear sort of people say oh poetry is elitist that's because there wasn't the sort of poetry there is now so it, it's vitally important that you keep writing stuff like this I just wanted you to talk to me a little bit about that idea yeah um, yeah I think there's still the tendency to think that poetry is elitist if you haven't experienced it or you know been a part of the community um, I suppose I probably thought it was a little bit when I first started out um, Hence why I was reluctant to sort of tell yeah other people about it. Mm, um, but it's I mean there's so many corners of the literature profession that are still elitist. Um, publishing the vast, vast, vast majority of people in publishing are from middle class backgrounds. Um, the tendency to employ people from. Oxford or Cambridge with uh, a first or more in English uh, is still very persistent and there's still definitely a lack of working class voices in publishing. As far as the creative side goes, it's definitely building um, and now there's a whole community of people in London, Manchester, a few other cities, Birmingham, um, which are vast majority working class which is fantastic um, and that's the spoken word scene just opens so many doors to everyone to sort of help each other through and we built up our own sort of movement of, uh, of language and we know how to address what we want to address and it's empowering for a lot of people uh, so I think that it's, it's going to change in, in the literary sort of community the more established traditional one I mean uh, I think the change is coming, it's just it takes a lot of work and we're putting in the foundation work at the moment. A, a question I've been asking all, all the poets on the podcast is, I mean you might not agree with this necessarily, but why do you feel it is people do turn to poetry of all the literary forms in sort of times of need? Why, why poetry? I think poetry is just one of the most purest forms of expression that you can get. Um, it sort of it condenses the world into a tiny, tiny little bit of word on a page. Um, whereas people haven't got time always to read full novels. A lot of people are very busy uh, and they don't really know. They don't want to, rather. They don't want to sort of take the time out to comprehend all the message in a novel. Um, they want to have it all quickly. We're in a very fast world at the moment and we want things quickly, so I think poetry provides and caters to that need um, and it does a really good job of it. Yeah. 
So talking about your work, Goodnight Sun, out on Burning Eye Books, um, it tackles all of the themes I've sort of mentioned before. I thought it'd be interesting to talk about this idea of sort of, um, you've got the poem Benidorm and Seaside Postcard, and I think your social commentary is amazing. The, the things you pick up on, they're brilliant. But this idea of being patriotic in, in the modern world, some people think, you know, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. The word racist is banded about. So, so what, what are your views on sort of patronism, I suppose? Well, I think there's, there's definitely a difference between patriotism and nationalism. Um, I, I recognise where, where the, the accusations of racism have come from for particularly English people that are patriotic. Uh, and you have to be careful about that. At the same time, I think you have to have a sense of pride in where you come from, um, much in the same way that you'd have a pride in your neighbourhood. So I would consider myself patriotic in the sense that I'm proud and I love the people of my community and of England, the normal people that, you know, whatever race, whatever background they've come from uh, as long as they're working hard and you know they want the greater good that I'm proud of them and I'm proud to be part of that community and this nation if we're working towards that I'm not proud of the way the country's run um, so I, I take a, a distinctively working class sense of pride and I guess patriotism um, but not in its sort of uh, not in its bureaucratic and political context. And you've got poems in in your collection. Westminster sort of takes shot at that as well. But I suppose the other area I haven't spoke about yet is this, this idea of masculinity and coming of age. So men don't cry is a poem, and that you've got in your collection. And bittersweet eighteen. I mean, you you may have views on that anyway. But you said sort of you grew up without a father figure. Um, what 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 are your views on this idea of sort of toxic masculinity now? Do do we think we, in this day and age, 2019, we've really turned a corner with this idea of man up and things like that? Yeah, I think we've definitely turned a corner. Um, I think there's a lot a lot of positive discussions around masculinity going on at the moment, which is fantastic, and it's definitely helping a lot of young men to be able to open up about their emotions. Um, as long as it's not being too forceful, then I think it's good. Um, some blokes, you can't force it upon them and you can't try to make them feel bad for having a sort of barrier up, because a lot of people do, and I still do myself. As much as I critique masculinity, um, I still don't show that much emotion. I've got a very monotone voice, I don't show much of anything particularly um, and I don't have a problem with that and I don't think it particularly affects me um, you can't yeah you can't force it on people to sort of change the way they are um, not that I'm saying you can't force somebody to you can't encourage somebody to um, change their sort of attitudes if they're you know wrongly um, wrongly taken in by a sort of a nastier version of masculinity um, but you can't force change on something that doesn't affect anybody else is what I'm saying basically um, let men be who they are and have this sort of guard up if they really need it um, but let them know that they can always break down and show themselves if they need to
developing ourselves. How long did it take to put this collection together? Because you, you, you do touch on a lot of different subjects, but they all do seem to interweave into each other. And it, it's, I'm right in saying it's your debut collection that was The Good Night Sun. How, how long did that take writing these poems? Um, Good Night Sun, I'd had on the go. Well, I mean, it, it, mm, I'd, there's a handful of poems in there that were written across the period of maybe like three, four years. Just random poems. I started off just writing random poems. I didn't have a collection in mind. Um, and then when I was, ooh, what I must have been, 20, I gathered them all together um, and sent them off to Burning Eye to see what they thought. Uh, and they liked it, so they gave me a, you know, a time period and said, all right, send the rest of the collection in. So after that, it was really a case of writing the rest in the space of about three months or something like that. Um, and maybe about half the poems, or well, not that many, maybe about a quarter of the poems in the book were written during that time period. Um, so very slowly, then very quickly. Uh, but now I'm taking a lot more time over writing books of all forms uh, because I want to be incredibly meticulous and I don't want to rush anything. I don't think that you can, particularly if you're entering fiction, you can't rush anything because if it comes out and it seems rushed, then you're going to get slaughtered by critics Then people won't want to buy your next book. So I think particularly in fiction it's like that. In poetry you can sort of, you can put stuff out and show yourself to have improved next time that you go to a poetry night but you can't in fiction. In your acknowledgements, I noticed you uh, thank Joelle Taylor, and I, I sort of I met Joelle briefly through through school. She, when I was training, she came in to do uh, a day with some students there, and I think her work's great. How how did that come about? How did uh, you end up working with Joelle? Joelle's fantastic. Um, she used to come down to a youth centre that I was going to in Brighton um, and get involved with. Uh, poetry sort of workshops and stuff that were happening there so I think that must have been the first time I met her was when she came down and did one of them um, but then I did uh, Slam Ambassadors um, back in ooh, when that 2014 um, and I entered that and ended up winning it and she was one of the sort of judges and she was like the host and the organiser of it and um, just sort of continued with her from there um, and she's always been really, really helpful. When I was putting together Good Night Sun, she read through the whole thing and made a few suggestions and wrote a quote for the back. Um, yeah, she really, really gave me a leg up. Absolutely loved Joelle. One of the few people that really gave me a chance. And the artwork's fantastic. Is, is, yeah. is, that, is, is that someone you knew? or? Yeah, it's my mum. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, I think out of all the poetry collections I've bought in the last sort of three, four years, I, I always talk about the artwork on that. So, big up your mum. Big up my mum. I noticed as well, um, you said about your work has been, it's been now been studied in a university. I don't know what university that is. Oh, Trier in Germany. Yeah. And, um, I mean, how's that as a writer? It must be quite surreal, but does it sort of give you a sense of validation for your work in a way that people are studying your your words? Yeah, I found it really bloody surreal. Um, I got a message off a girl uh, that was going to uni out there that told me that they were doing a, a little module on uh, contemporary performance poetry, and they did a bit on England. 
uh, and watched a bunch of videos and something and uh, I was one of the people that they were looking at and I thought bloody hell that's mad uh, she wanted to write an essay on some of the poems from Goodnight Sun um, so I started chatting to her about it a bit and helped her with uh, sort of decoding a few things uh, and there's been a few little incidents like that where um, people that have uh, seen me at a show in London or something will see me again and say uh, oh yeah I, I teach abroad and I've brought your book out and I've taught a class on your book in this place or this place or wherever and that's fantastic I love that sort of stuff. Mm. Talking to university and sort of touching in with this whole idea of working class values um, you've been to university I myself went to university but I know a lot of people now are 50-50 on this idea will it actually help me especially with the arts yeah. how much did you find you helped your university experience um, aided I suppose your, your career as a writer uh, for me massively um, definitely because before I went to university I was nowhere near as uh, sort of up on literature as I am now um, it introduced me to so many people that I never knew existed uh, writer wise and sort of gave me the sort of studious studious uh, look on work of fiction and poetry that I needed to really appreciate it and learn from it uh, you can't write without reading vigorously uh, and I wasn't reading that much before I went to uni so it's definitely given me that um, as far as prospects I mean there's very little prospects if you want to be a writer anyway as far as employment goes you can't really gain that much employment in creative writing you have to be freelance um, so I didn't quite do that job but that doesn't matter because it armed me with the the sort of mindset and the, the skills I needed to be able to do that job myself see what I mean so is that sense of sort of educating yourself to get to a yeah. education yeah yeah the best form of education you can get you are constantly reading on your Instagram. I, I, I really enjoy the stories where you, you did one yesterday with a haul of books you've got. I've, I, I've myself bought a few of those off the back of that, so please keep doing that because you're educating me as well. But um, in terms of the writing process, then, as we sort of wrap this up, um, I like to ask poets, and you've sort of touched on it, some poets seem to be able to put everything on the page very quickly and it's almost very little editing or some poets have ideas I know a few of the poets I've had on here so far say they, they spend 15 minutes a day writing and then edit it together yeah. what's the writing process like for you? Um, it's changed uh, so I used to write as I said earlier uh, very sort of spontaneous and I didn't really think about editing that much I'd just sort of get it down on the page and let it be a sort of free flow of thought um, I've changed it up quite a bit now, although I do that sometimes, um, particularly looking towards agents and big publishers and stuff. I want to make sure that everything's meticulous and crafted as much as possible um, so that it can really stand as something with serious literary merit. Um, so I take a lot more time now, definitely, as I've said. Uh, but also, yeah, pushing into fiction and non-fiction now as well, and I tend to focus on one genre at a time. Uh, so I'm currently writing non-fiction. I've just finished a period of writing fiction, 
uh, and after I've done this non-fiction thing I'll go back to writing more poetry and I tend to spend maybe like one or two months going at just one genre then one genre then one genre because I can't I have to have my head I have to train my brain to be in the sort of mindset of doing that and only read that genre whilst I'm writing that genre um, so that's how I sort of go about it at the moment um, but yeah yeah lots of different projects on the go uh, in all different genres and hopefully soon they'll all be ready to you know make their way into the world and I, I'm, I'm going to push you on those in a second but the last question I've got to the writing process how do you know when a poem's ended because I've had lots of different answers to this um, when it's finished ooh. when I feel that there's nothing else that can be done for it uh, in a way I want to sort of pour everything on the subject of the poem into the poem in essentially as few words as I can um, when I feel like everything's in there and it's been justifiably represented and it's got its sort of literary merit then I'm done I think and live wise uh, your performances you have got you sort of touched upon it earlier where you spoke about your your monotone delivery but you have got a very unique style of delivering your poetry were there any particularly influences behind that did you have any influence behind that or was that something that just came about very naturally and <laughs> um, i think it was fairly naturally um I, there wasn't particularly any poetry influences um, because I didn't really see that much of live poetry before I started doing it myself. Uh, when I was a kid I really loved watching like old films and shit and I used to like Oliver Reed and Jack Nicholson and that and their sort of way of uh, talking particularly when they're in sort of like antagonistic roles and I like that sort of gruffness. Um, I suppose when I was, because I used to enjoy acting and that at school, I used to like sort of portraying those same figures and maybe I've carried that a bit with me onto stage as well. Um, as far as the sort of musicality and the, the rhythm and the cadence of it is, I guess it's natural, I don't know. I don't know where else I could have picked it up from. Um, I've had comparisons to John Cooper Clark before, which is like... I was just going to say, for me, you're up there in terms of that sort of unique delivery with Cooper Clark and Armitage. They've got a very distinct yeah, yeah, yeah. way of delivering poetry. Yeah, yeah, I love John Cooper Clark's delivery. Um, yeah, I'm definitely happy with that. Yeah, I love... don't mind a comparison to his delivery at all. But yeah, yeah, really fucking cracking. So what's next? I know we've you, you spoke about... Um, well, I've seen on Instagram you're writing non-fiction. I, I know nothing about that, but certainly you've got the Southern Cabman short story. Is, is That's coming soon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that'll be uh, 9th of July uh, with Fiction Pool. Um, that'll be, yeah, I, I've been waiting for so long to get Summit that I'm really happy with fiction-wise into, into the public, and that'll be my debut short story. So I think I've sort of I've figured out that I want to do a few short stories now, pass them about whilst working on the novels, because uh, I think the novel will get more attention once a few short stories have seen the public. Yeah, that's the plan. And I can't wait for that. If your poetry is anything to go by, your fiction's going to be amazing. Can you talk much about the non-fiction? Because I'm genuinely intrigued. 
Yeah, uh, it's a project called Brother, um, or look, that's a working title at the moment. Uh, I've been working with a photographer called Lauren Joy Kennett uh, for years. Uh, I think we met in 2013, end of 2012, and we started photographing, or I, I took her around areas and she was photographing um, areas in Brighton first and all my mates, um, just going about whatever we were doing. Uh, so it might be in a bloody a fast food place, or it might be down the park, or we might be in the estate, or we might be anywhere. Um, and we just started doing that as a sort of documentation. And originally it was going to be a book of poetry with her photos in it. Uh, and that was just before I did uh, Goodnight Sun. So it, it sort of got left behind, but we've every now and again we just pick it up uh, and do some more photos. Um, but now, in the last year or so, we've decided that we want to turn it into a book, for sure. Uh, and it's going to be a book about class. So I'm writing that at the moment. And we're going around doing more photographing uh, and chatting to more people. Uh, and we're going to turn it out. Hopefully, by the end of this year, we want to have it sort of finished and ready to look towards printing. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm sort of focusing on at the moment can't wait to read that and in between all this writing you occasionally in the studio as well putting yeah. putting uh, sort of words to music yeah yeah uh, yeah that's a laugh that um i did yeah i did my debut album we're all modern halos recorded and wrote that through 2017 that came out at the start of 2018 uh really enjoyable stuff for that whole year pretty much in 2017 i was just focusing on the music side of things uh, and occasionally i'll do like a live set with a band um, but mostly it's a cappella. I think the music side of things I wouldn't fully go into it quite yet um, I think it's just a really really fun thing to do on the side I'll still do a few EPs with people I'm working on an EP at the moment on and off um, with a, a guy around the corner from here uh, who's fantastic so there's a few things coming up, but um, yeah, mostly mostly the writing side at the moment. I suppose all that's left for me to ask is where can people find you and who should people be reading other than yourself? So where can people find me first? My Instagram is what I'm most active on, which is just at Tommy underscore Sissons. Uh, Twitter, just at Tommy Sissons. Uh, that's about it for social media, really. Um, who should people be reading at the moment? There's a wealth of people. Um, so as far as contemporary poetry goes, Joel Taylor, Anthony Anaxaguru. Um, there's lots of up and coming young people like, I had a collective called Spit the Atom, which consisted of a lot of great young poets and they're all doing fantastic things. They're all worth checking out. Uh, Teresa Lola's doing really well at the moment. Um, so many bloody good people just watch the bloody London Birmingham and Manchester scene for poetry there's tons uh, as far as sort of uh, cemented classic texts goes Milan Kundera um, Walter Greenwood is a, a sort of rare choice um, old cult sort of classic text is what I read a lot of the time um, particularly 20th century British and American stuff. Have a little read of that, I reckon. Well, Tommy, thank you so much. Been wanting to get you on here for a while. 
good luck with the short story. It's been fascinating, and I hope you come back and talk to us again when your next poetry collection's out. Yeah, wicked, definitely. Cheers, pal. This episode's recital comes from the man himself. Tommy Sissons recorded this especially for us. This is his recital of Ode to a Kawasaki. A study of how titanium can speak to the trees. Unconquerable lizard doom the crickets in their suits who struggle past on push bikes predicting the anti-climactic. In Shadwell he holds a frame to him like her missing body, each spoiler a jar of forgetfulness. Should he press forget-me-nots inside abstract laughter filling the helmets of anonymity? A hard arc for a lone animal. Homesick in the land of the strong, hefty lines make a city from the ghost of a tire. Retire to the night, my lad, console with the swollen moon. Countless men have stolen back the dream they all met the same, sold to them as summer fruit which came to life as rain. Well, there we have it. Episode one, series two. We're back. We're rolling. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out Tommy's short story, Southern Cab Man. You can find the link on his Instagram and his bio, but it is on the fiction pool. That's P-O-O-L.com to read that for free. So go and check that out. Definitely worth the read. All that remains for me to say is thank you very much to our featured poet, Tommy Sissons. Do check out his debut collection, Goodnight Sun, on Burning Eye Books. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you spread the words, share us with your friends. We're on Facebook and Instagram. It's just People's Poetry Podcast. On Twitter, we're at people underscore poetry. You can find me on Twitter at Jabo Pens Poems. And remember to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, Acast, SoundCloud, wherever it is you are listening to us from. Thank you very much for once again choosing poetry. See you again very soon.